All right, so we got the outline. I got your bio. We'll make it sound super smart. We'll fix it in post and we'll make it sound. We're going to sound Sounds really good smart. to me. All right, cool. You ready? Yep. Go for it. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> What's up, UX fam? How's your mom and them? Welcome to another episode of Beyond UX Design. I'm Jeremy. If you're new here, welcome to the show. I am super stoked to have you. And if you haven't done it already, consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're a regular here and you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review. That'll help me out so much. And to keep the show independent and ad-free, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. And if you do this, you'll get some sweet, sweet perks for your support. And of course, if you think the shows we're sharing, then I would love it if you told some friends. And for more information on how you can help people find out about the show, make sure to check out beyonduxdesign.com slash support. Well, I am super stoked to have my good buddy, my old friend, Neil Pleasance on the show. A couple of weeks back, uh, I was on LinkedIn and I saw Neil post about talking at UX Live. And I said, Neil, at UX Live, he's a product guy. What is he doing at UX Live? <laughs> and Neil was talking about something very near and dear to my heart, being outcome focused and, and transforming from a feature factory to focused on outcome. And I'm really stoked to have you on the show today. Neil is an outcome-focused digital leader. For the last 20 years, he's delivered growth for big-name brands across grocery, electronics, and broadcast media. He uses a collaborative approach to develop digital strategies and roadmaps with a customer-centric omnichannel mindset for long-term growth and engagement. Neil's favorite word is why, which I also really like Neil, by the way, which he uses often to get the root cause of requests and decisions made. And he comes with a sense of humor to keep perspective, which I also appreciate about my good buddy, Neil. Neil's passionate about building autonomous, diverse, and empowered teams across people of color, gender, LGBTQ, disabilities, and disadvantaged backgrounds. And he is currently the head of product and design at Mindful Chef out in the UK, which I don't think we can get here in the States. Is that only in Europe? I think it is. That is only in Europe. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Neil, welcome to Beyond UX Design, man. I am so excited to have you on. It is great to, to talk to you again and to pick your brain about outcome focused. It's totally awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. And it's great to be talking to you. So my biggest question is, how did a product guy get invited to UX Live to talk about product-focused stuff? Uh, yeah, no, great question. I, I think it's because I, I've obviously started to merge roles a little bit more. So starting to look at how do product and design teams interact better to make better products. So I've kind of tried to merge those two worlds together. And then I think the, the real crux to it was, well, I'm talking about outcomes and who doesn't want to work in outcome-focused uh, yeah, teams, right? Because it's the That's nirvana right. of, of where everyone's trying to get to. And, uh, <laughs> You know, that became very apparent in that talk. There was about 300 people there. And when I said, who believes they're working in a, a an, an outcome-focused team, only three people put their hand up. So that tells you how far we have to go. Oh, man. It is absolutely 100% something I think we are all striving towards. And, and uh, you know, I, I was joking about a product guy at a UX conference because <laughs> I, I honestly genuinely believe that UX and product and honestly even software <laughs> engineers should all yeah. be working together hand in hand, uh, you know, lockstep, constantly collaborating all the time, not working in a, so, in a silo. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited that, that you were talking about that. And, and I love that. So my big question for you, the first thing is, you know, when we talk about being outcome focused, the, the audience for this podcast are a lot of really junior UX designers, maybe more than anything. Mm. Uh, so talk a little bit, if you would, about outcome focused really quick, just so we can kind of level set what that is and compare it to maybe, you know, something like a feature factory, which you mentioned in your talk, 
Yeah, sure. So, so I think most people will, I'll reverse it if that's okay, most people will probably uh, align to a feature factory way more. Uh, I, I suspect a lot of people are still working that way. And a feature factory is is an approach where, yeah, you might be working in sprints. It doesn't mean you're agile. It doesn't mean you're out, outcome focused. It, you can have sprints and still be a feature factory. But a feature factory is when everybody in the business and everybody within the teams are coming out with 101 things and they're throwing as much stuff at the wall as they possibly can um, and hoping some of it sticks. Um, so it's more of a, a scattergun approach, really. Um, and before you know it, what happens is you're building stuff, you're releasing stuff, but you're not solving customer problems because when they come to the site, they actually don't like using your features because you actually haven't done the right due diligence and discovery around them. So what Outcome Focus does is not only does it try to solve that issue in terms of let's focus on what's going to change the business, what's going to make customers more happy, it actually gives you uh, right, this is the way we're going to approach it as a business as a whole, not just single individual teams. This is a more of a holistic view of what we're trying to achieve through the experience. Uh, these are the outcomes that we're trying to get to, um, and they, they're probably going to be business-related or MPS-related. And this is what we're trying to achieve as a team, as a whole, rather than just individual silos. Because if you keep going down that route of scattergun effect, you're going to enter the build trap incredibly quickly, and that's hard to get out of. You know, it's funny, you're talking about like all this, like throwing things at a wall, seeing what sticks. I, I, I mentioned this on LinkedIn the other day about my dishwasher. I had this LG dishwasher. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw this post, but I had this fancy LG dishwasher with a million features and all this crap. And I never used any of them. I never used any of them. Literally, all I did was fill up the dishes, hit start, close it, go to bed. <laughs> And, you know, I just think about feature factory versus outcome focused. I ended up getting this Bosch dishwasher that just literally washes my dishes and mm. it dries them. And that's it. And that's the, that's the selling feature. And the outcome is exactly what I want. You know, it's not all this junk that just some idiot in a conference room is like, whoa, what if we do? Thank you. Add a TM and a register to the end. It's like, oh, wow, look how fancy this thing is. It can connect to Google and Google can tell you you have five minutes left in your wash. You know, that to me, I think is like a really great comparison between a feature factory that's just pumping out a bunch of random crap that's not connected, yeah. that doesn't serve yeah. a purpose yeah. and an outcome focused, you know, and I say this, I don't know anything about the way Bosch or LG work, by the way, this is just my, my, my perception, but I, I look at something like Bosch and I'm like, oh, the outcome is exactly what I want. It washes my dishes and it dries them. That's it. That's all I want my dishwasher to do. I've got to get me one of those dishwashers. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man, the buy, and they're not even that much more. They're actually, it was cheaper than the LG one, to be honest. Uh, and I got a, I got a fancy like Cyber Monday deal or something, you know, do you guys do that in the UK? I guess you like Cyber Monday, you know, do you have Black Friday? Like, yeah. So, so we've, we've, we've been inf infiltrated by Black Friday <laughs> from the US, obviously that's been around for a little while. It's the Cyber Monday thing. Not really there yet. Now it hasn't really taken off. No. Nah, okay. Well, you're not missing anything. It's basically a bunch of like, you know, you go in store Friday and then the next Monday you shop online when you're back at work. I think that's the idea. Oh, I thought it was when you took everything back. <laughs> Oh no, that's Boxing Day. Isn't that Boxing Day? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. You guys and your and your crazy holidays. All right. One of the things I really loved about your talk, what your it was interesting. Your talk was not about getting there. Your talk was about mm. the journey and how mm. you are still in the progress of moving a, a feature factory yeah. or a feature focused team towards an outcome focused team. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, I preach this constantly, is you know, it's all about context. It's all about relationships. It's all about partnering with people. And, and you mentioned specifically in your talk, you know, finding allies. 
And you spent the first three months, I think, just talking to people and understanding before you ever actually went and did anything. And I just love that. I want to talk a little bit about that for a second. Um, But your, your sort of your approach to, you know, diving in and understanding and immersing yourself in the team before going and saying, this is all the changes we need to make. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, if you're, if you're going into any business, um, what's the first thing you've got to, you've got to build up, you've got to build up your credibility that you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about. But how do you do that? You, you do that through trust. And the only way to earn trust is to um, walk in other people's shoes, because then you can empathize with them. And let's face it, if, if, if within digital teams, we're not empathizing, we're not really succeeding in our roles. So I, I had a bit of a plan to go in and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to observe, I'm going to learn, and then I'm going to action. And, um, I did that. I did observe and I did learn, which I'll come on to. The action, I I didn't know what that outcome was going to be. I didn't know what the action was going to be, but I knew what my remit was. So I knew it was going to be around the customer experience (laughs) in digital channels. The the other thing that I knew I wanted to do was to to improve the ways of working. And for me, that meant becoming outcome focused because I did walk into more of a feature factory where I just saw a thousand and one things of which the majority of them weren't really helping. So, uh, so the way that I approach that is, is I, I, you know, I went in and I thought, well, look, there's, there's three key questions here that I need to answer. Um, how aligned are the teams in the business? Um, how is the digital team seen within the company? And how does work get into the, the digital team? So I thought to myself, if I can, if I can answer those three questions, um, then I can start to move on to the next phase, which would be really around the, the whole learning aspect. You know, when you think about those, how do you answer them? Well, what does the business want to achieve? And I don't think the digital team had really asked that in, in, in the right way previously. So again, when people were coming to them, they weren't pushing back by saying, well, look, you know, um, these are our priorities. Uh, this is what we're trying to achieve as a business. Does this particular feature that you're requesting or this piece of work, does it, you know, uh, align to that? So I'm, I'm, I know how, how work's done. I know what the business is trying to achieve. I know how people are getting these boxes prepared, all of our customers. Um, what are the customers saying about it as well? So then you start to look into the, the insights and then obviously you compare that to data. So you end up with um, this, this great knowledge base because what you have to do is you have to go out and you have to meet lots of people in order to, to, to get through that. And this all at the same time as trying to you know, align my team and, and get to know my team and work within my team. So it's a big task, right? So, so I gave myself three months to do all of that. Um, uh, which was uh, incidentally my probation period. So um, it could have gone either way, to be fair, <laughs> but it seems to have worked. Um, and, I, and I gave myself three months because I think, honestly, it's going to take three months to get across any business in, in the detail that you need to be able to stand up confidently in front of a bunch of founders, CEO, board, you, you know, your peer groups and, and the company say, actually, we're doing this things wrong and these this is why we're doing them wrong this is the impact if we change tact and we we try something else you know this is what the the outcome could be and that would be outcome focused i love that a couple of questions how how big was the team that you're working with is it uh 50 people 100 people 10 people uh, so, so so the company as a whole um is just over 100 people yeah and the digital team is uh, 25 25 of that so a quarter of the, the company yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, like something like my, where I work and we've got something like uh, just like hundreds of just software engineers alone. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of stuff that you're talking about in your talk and I'm just like, God, this is like, this is where I work. This is my company. This is a bunch of <laughs> stakeholders throwing stuff at a wall 
not getting customer feedback mm. and expecting us to build it in six months and then mm. questioning, you know, why it didn't, why mm. nobody's using it after we've released it. And I just think I'm like, God, I, I wish like, Neil, you want to come work for me? Cause I feel like we, <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we need this uh, on my team, but I'm curious though. Uh, one of the things that I, I noticed about a lot of the stuff that you were talking about where I work, we, we use, you know, this concept of lean mm. manufacturing sure. because, you know, big manufacturing company, you know, we make these jet engines and stuff. And, you know, I'm not talking about lean UX. I'm talking about lean manufacturing. Yeah. And if anybody out there isn't familiar, it's invented by Toyota. And this is the manufacturing concept that, you know, a lot of big manufacturing companies use today. Anyway, a lot of, lot of Japanese terms because it comes from Japan, but there's this concept of Genba, which is going to where the action is. If you've ever heard, a lot of people probably heard Kaizen, but that's Kaizen's good change, continuous improvement. Um, autonomy of teams being able to, you know, for instance, one big thing with lean is if you're on the shop floor and you see a defect, you see a quality issue, you can stop the line. You have the ability to stop the line and make sure that defect is fixed. So that defect doesn't ever make it out of the warehouse. Right. So that idea of, of lean is something very big where I work. And when I was listening to your talk, I'm just thinking, God, this sounds so much like a lot of the lean principles. And I'm, I'm just curious, was that ever something you've studied? Did you ever hear about, or is this just, you happened? I mean, the concepts are, are, are pretty universal. I'm just curious. Is that something that you were kind of thinking about? Um, so, 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 yeah, similar practices. I, I, I mean, less so from a, a shop floor piece, but I, I, I mean, the one thing I do know, having, I mean, I've been doing this job way too long. I've been in digital, what, 22 years. So I should probably go off and do something else to be fair, <laughs> but I, I just love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and <laughs> in that time, <laughs> that would be great. Um, if only, uh, I, I get so bored by the way. Um, <laughs> no, so, so yeah, I mean, I've worked in broadcast media, so it was a lot of that, a lot of that would be walking around studios, understanding what the concepts were that people were trying to come up with in programming and those problems. I've worked, uh, in a lot of digital food so i spent an awful lot of time in digital warehouses big and small so you know i've worked for some of the biggest companies in the uk uh, and i've also worked for uh, you know medium-sized companies which mindful chef is so it's very much around well that's how i learned to understand very much like you were saying with the toyota uh, example if you're walking around somewhere and you start to see things that you're like a, a, you don't understand. You need to ask the question, and therefore you're learning. And people love that you ask questions because they're like, oh, well, you know, you're really interested. And that's how you build the most important thing of the, the, mm. the whole process, yeah. which is uh, trust trust and patience, right? But I, it's not something I've studied formally. I mean, through different um, methodologies of working within digital, you know, like the whole Kanban approach and things like that, you do pick up these kind of synergies between uh, different ways of working and the agile ways of working across whatever industry. Yeah, it's really interesting because what's funny is at, at where I work, you know, we we talk a lot about lean from the manufacturing, from the operational side. And yeah. one of the things that our software teams have tried to adopt is a similar language so that when we want to do things, we can go and and promote our activities as, you know, some type of lean activity almost to get buy-in from other people who, you know, as an example, when we say, you know, design sprint, right? Design sprint is very similar to another lean uh, manufacturing technique, but we use these same ideas. You know, we use the, the similar process. Uh, we've got a uh, design sprint here and we've got the lean manufacturing technique over here. They're very similar. So when, when we say we're going to do this thing, we actually, we just change the name, just change the vocabulary, similar process and everything else, you know, same as user research or going to Genba, you know, so that kind of stuff, it is very similar. And we've tried to yeah. adopt the language. And what that does is that similar concept that you're talking about of trust, we're building trust. We're not an outsider. We're an insider, you know? Exactly. And so this is, I think, something really important. 
I, I try to get this point across when I talk to a lot, especially junior designers. Junior designers, we you know, designers in general, we have ideas, we have thoughts, we have yeah. ways that we yeah. think we can improve a thing. And we can go in and we can just tell everybody that their current process sucks and they're <laughs> stupid and they're dumb and they should change and we're smart and we know how it should work, right? One, one way no to one's going to be like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm really dumb. Let, let's change that process, right? Exactly. So, you know, this idea of being there with them, you know, shared experiences, yeah. you know, yeah, bleeding totally. with them, going through the pain together and then coming up with an idea. Like, you know, we've mm. done this. I experienced this. I noticed some things. Perhaps we could change uh, something. In this case, mm. you're, you're thinking about changing processes and mm. how, how teams define features to build and stuff. And I just love that approach. I think that's something really important that, you know, I've, I've talked to consultants, for instance, who do something like what you're doing for a living almost, but they'll just go and do this like randomly at a bunch of companies. And one of the things that they always say is like, in order for me to be taken seriously, I have to get to know the people first. I have to share their pain. I have to empathize with them and they have to relate to me. They have to trust me. Otherwise I'm just coming in and I'm, I'm like the Bob from office space where everyone's just scared (laughs) to talk to me because they think I'm going to, you know, tell everybody that they need to, that they need to be laid off or whatever because they're wasting money. So, you know, I, I just love that approach that you took where you just spent all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Taking it all in. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned a couple of key words. I think that's really important from like a UX side, the empathy, you know, the context, the learning. I really love that. Yeah. And, and it, to be fair, it, it actually started before I joined the company officially. I was, I was still in my previous role, um, but I was so keen to hit the ground running when I got there that for about a month before I was starting to understand how the teams were working more, more within the digital space. But then I, I went up to the warehouse a couple of times. And so so nobody in the digital team had been to the warehouse like like ever. So um, so they were like, well, you went to the warehouse. I'm like, well, how can you not go to the warehouse? Everything we do out of, out of our digital team impacts the warehouse in some way you know they're the ones that are taking all these orders and all these reports and knowing what food to pack and knowing you know who's doing what and so how do you know what you're impacting in 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 their in the in the warehouse where they where they are so busy i mean thousands upon thousands upon thousands of boxes going out every day and you don't know what you're impacting so you're coming up with something without even understanding what it is that you're 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 doing at the other end so we arranged some monthly trips which are still in place and now everybody in the digital team loves going to the warehouse and they love having us so that in itself it meant it's like a field trip (laughs) well it is right because and and also the guys are great because they they get together and when they're on the train they're all playing these like a communal uh, digital app games so it's like pretty hilarious um so they have a great time we go out for dinner you know that's awesome so, so that bonds the whole team together more within digital and then bonds us with the with the warehouse teams which is crucial and what that has actually done is that's taken us um to uh, when you when you look at the reports of how you interact uh, collaboration wise with uh, other teams in the business uh, market, marketing and and the uh, operation warehouse team uh, are our biggest closest supporters they're, they're we're bright green in their eyes and, and that certainly wasn't the case a year ago so it, it does work. And like like you were saying, you'll know yourself, Jeremy, that if you go and, and you start to talk in those in in the, the language of, of, of what your your peer group and, and other business parts are trying to do, it is very much around, oh, you're interested. And therefore it's like, oh well now you're understanding, so now I trust you. And like I say, without trust, you're you're dead in the water. You, you you're always gonna get a no, a pushback, or oh, I'm not sure about this, or you know, it's not the right time. So you've got to get the trust. 
Now, I'm curious, do you guys build uh, like in, internal tools for the warehouse team or is it just the external facing application where I can order the the, the no, we, we, yeah, we do, we, we do the whole thing. So, so I mean, we buy in tools, obviously. So we, okay. we have um, we have back office, uh, yeah. and, and we have other other tools that are pretty well known, and we we build those all together to to, to make the journey uh, as seamless as possible. Um, we're trying to improve that all the time, especially based on the things that we're learning from all these other terms. A team, sorry, it's it's like oh well, I, yeah, I use this tool, but actually, it's got this problem. It's like okay, well, do we need that tool? Can we get a better one? You know, so so we're not adverse to doing that. But also, how can we optimize their time on it? Do they need training on it? So yeah, we we, we do quite a few things outside of the front customer facing uh, UX. Yeah, the reason why I ask, I'm just curious because uh, where I work, it's just, there's a lot of parallels where, with I feel like we're with where I work, and one of my roles right now is to digitize the shop floor and optimize mm-hmm. how the guys on the shop floor are inspecting and repairing all these components and jet engines and things like that. It's really neat. It's a very complicated process where I where I work at least, right? And so uh, the engineers for a long time were questioning, why do we need this? Why do we do this? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. I was getting all these questions constantly, the engineering team pushing back. Well, we don't need that. We should do this. I'm like, no, it has to be this way because this is how people operate. And what I started to realize was they don't understand why they're building mm-hmm. what they're building. They really, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have no context. We're a feature factory. Someone said, put this button on the left. And make exactly. it do a thing and don't ask any questions, you know? And they didn't understand. They were pushing back on it. And engineers, you know, they want to build the right stuff. They want to build things the right way and, and optimize and all this. But it's hard to optimize and, and build the right way yeah. when you don't have the context. Mm. So what we started to do was we went on research trips and we would take an engineer and we would take a product manager every time on our research trips with the UX team. And so that gave the product team firsthand experience, seeing how people interact with the tools that we're building. And it gave the engineers the same exact experience. They got to see how, in, how, how inspectors and operators were using the tools. And when they come back to the office, they're just so excited to see this. And it's just, it makes them just, it, it, one, I think it gets them really excited about work. You know, when, when you do a future factory, so. I feel yeah. like a lot of people Pretty just much. get very, just like kind of burnt out. They're like, I don't even understand what's the point yeah. of all this. You see another thing you're asking me to build. I don't even know what it does, you know? And so there's that burnout and that just sort of, I don't know, malaise maybe is a good word when you're, when you, you know, just <laughs> every day, the same thing over and over, but they came back and they were, oh, this is why we do this. That button on the left, it's because of this, you know, and totally. all this stuff, you know? And, and I just love seeing everybody. And what also too, you mentioned this, go to dinner, you go out, you're playing yeah. the games, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. It's team building, really, yeah, you know? And so 100%. the product team, the engineering team, the UX team, you're all doing this together and you're well, all working it. together and it's not a silo and it's not one team doing this and, and handing something over the fence. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I love that. I just love that approach. I think that's yeah. so valuable to the, just the team in general. But you've, you've got to get out of those silos, right? Yeah, you know, because when you walk into a business and you see silos, what's the best thing you can do? Take those silos away. Get people to collaborate more. Get people to understand more. Educate people, you know, not, not just in what digital teams do, because that is so, so crucial. Um, but start to, to, to question things, you know, because like I say, they, they, they love all of that. And then suddenly, once you're starting to team build within your own teams and with other teams, and, and to be fair, Mindful Chef is, is a very is very big on team building. They do lots of events. 
sense, but it makes you have a purpose. And once you've had a purpose, you become more driven. And once you're more driven, you, you want to succeed. You know, so so it, it goes to the very core of everything that we need to do, both as digital teams and as a business as a whole. So it's crucial to do. Yeah. You're just reminding me I, I, of one of my favorite quotes ever. Uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, French writer from the 40s. If you want to build a ship, you don't, you don't find a bunch of people, you don't, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit. You don't buy, find a bunch of people. You don't bunch out a bunch of orders. You don't hand out tools, chop down wood, you know, and, and tell people what to do. If you want to build a ship, you make them long for the vast and endless sea. Yes. Right. And like, yeah. to me, it's just exactly what I you just that. said. You have a purpose. Like the purpose is to build this amazing thing. I don't have to tell you what to do anymore. Right. Because you will figure out how to build the best damn thing you could possibly build, you know? And I think as, yeah, as leaders, I mean, like, you know, in in your case, you know, you're not doing any of the work yourself. You could hand out orders and tell people exactly what to do. But when, when you convince them and you, you inspire them to want to change how they work, you know, they will figure out a better process and you don't have to hand out a roadmap to do it. You don't have to hand over a list of coordinates and say, I want you to go here and I want you to follow these steps. They will, they, and the interesting too though about that is like, they might go in a completely different direction that you didn't even expect. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and, and like you say, so it's about, it's about how you phrase the, the, the problem statement to them because you need to, you know, as part, as part of coming to outcome focus, you need to be in problem statements. So how do you phrase the problem? Like you said, you, you know, how do you get people to long for the open seas? It's the same as how do you make the lives of our customer more enhanced through healthy eating, right? It, rather than, oh, we need to increase uh, this by 5%. And by the way, this uh, this reduction here of 2% on tomatoes, we, we need to sort that out. You know, it's not the right approach. It's, it's get people to think big. All right. So I had, I had a question for you. So in one of the big themes that I got out of your your talk, and again, I know other people didn't get to hear your talk, and I'm very sorry that you didn't get to hear this talk. It's a great talk. Neil, if you ever give this talk again, I want to make sure it gets posted somewhere on the internet so we can all see it. Um, but I one of the do. things that you you talked about was finding allies and support agents. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I'm curious about is when it comes to stakeholders and a lot of product teams that we, you know, we work with stakeholders and they give us a list of things. And in, you know, some cases you might hear, you know, I used to do this work or I did this thing. I know what's best for users. You don't need to talk to them. I know what to do. How do you build that? How do you find allies and trust agents mm. on a team where people just don't understand why what they're doing is wrong? Is there yeah, any thoughts about that? Absolutely. A lot. <laughs> it could be a podcast on its own. Um, yeah, but, but, but it's crucial. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, look, as part of this whole trust and patience, trust to win over the business, patience, because that is going to take a lot of time. Um What's what's a way to speed that up? So yes, I I could go in and I could I could speak to uh, leadership teams and heads of teams and business teams all day long for months and months and months on end. Um, they don't know me when I come into a business. You know, I'm I'm, I'm still establishing myself. You know, kind of you you've got to be careful how you do that. You know, because otherwise it could be oh who, who's this guy? Um, you know, so so the, the one way that I've tried to approach that is um, how do I win over the key 
change operations within the business. So these are the people that have been there longer than you. They've been through the pain of being being trusted that you're still going through. So they're already trusted, they're listened to, uh, and they're well established in the business. If you can win those people over and align with you, you can sell your vision to one or two of those. They'll do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. And a lot of that groundwork will, will, will just disappear because they'll go, yeah, they, they will. They'll do it for it. Yeah, they'll convince someone else. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and not only will they convince other people that, you know, across their teams and across our peer groups, but also leadership. And therefore, leadership starts to think, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, actually, maybe he's got something here. And, and so that's why I think getting those change agents is, is such a crucial part of increasing the speed. The other thing, too, I want to point out is that, you know, you mentioned this a couple of times in your your talk, but you just normalized it. You just said it as if it was a completely normal thing, you know, to, to go into these conversations and just start talking about outcomes of this as if everybody does this and you're crazy if you don't, you know, almost like, I don't want, not in a negative, but like almost like gaslighting them. Like, yeah, outcomes, of course, everybody does, you know, but I, I think that's like an amazing thing. Like just normalizing the change that you want to see and making it part of the normal conversation. A hundred percent. And I could think of so many other scenarios where you would do something like that for any, any number of research or uh, voice a customer or validation or whatever. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? I, I don't know if there's much more to say. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're always going to get some right, but but I, I think it's, I read somewhere and I can't, I can't honestly remember where it was, but if you start to just talk about things, it becomes the norm. And, and I wish I could remember where, I, where, where I, I, I kind of heard this first, but it was quite some time ago. So that's what I've been doing for a little while. You go in and especially coming into, into Mindful Chef, it, it was okay, yeah, well, what, you know, if we, if we work towards outcomes, that's better. And the way that I did that is um, I, I took quite a bold move when I found the uh, the Feature Factory approach. Um, and I, I got support off leadership, which was actually all of this stuff here, it's just not, you know, it's not relevant to what you're trying to achieve as a business. So I burnt the roadmap completely. I threw it all out and I went back and, and I said, look, let's, I went back to, to, to some of the businesses. And I said, look, you know, I know it sounds radical, but listen <laughs> to this. If we work towards outcomes, so so if people want to know, they're going to go, well, what, what do you mean by outcomes? And then you start to tell them and educate them. So it becomes the norm. Um, if you if we work towards outcomes, what is, what are the top three game changing outcomes you want to focus on as a business as as features that we that people could use? And suddenly they're starting to think in outcomes as well with you. So they're doing it by osmosis. Um, and and that's what we did. We went from probably 150 things on the roadmap to to probably about 30. Um, and and we've refined it even more since then. But but people are like, yeah, so outcome focused and 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 even more so now. You know, those that are getting it more are coming to me and going, look, I've got a problem statement for you. And I'm like, hallelujah, you know, some some of my work is done here. Does it ever end? No, there's always more, more, more to do. But, you know, I mean, that's part of the joy. <laughs> I mean, at least we're not going to get bored. But, but, but yeah, if you, if you just go in and, and you talk about things as if it's the normal thing, and then when people ask you, you go, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's quite a well-known thing in the digital world. And this is this is kind of the, you know, the idea behind it. And it helps in these areas. Um, and, and then people, like I say, they, they just start doing it. They just go, yeah, well, you know, now we're becoming, oh, it's before we get there, now we're becoming more outcome focused because it takes time. Um, when you hear people say that, it's like, oh, this is great. You know, we're getting there and we're not there yet. And we won't be for a while. I, I, I suspect probably, you know, autumn this year is when we'll probably be working more in an outcome focus uh, that, that's, that's more real and genuine. We're, but we're getting there. And, 
you know, going back to trust and patience, which, which I, you know, I know sounds very, very boring throughout, but it is key to achieving and keeping your momentum going because it, you can get drained, you know, when people are trying to say, well, I'm not sure it's for us or, you know, does it really work? You've got to keep it going. Well, the trust and patience thing, I think just in anything software related, I mean, you know, it, this is, you know, it, I tell people this all the time, people on my team, junior designers, whatever, that software is is a marathon and it's not a sprint. I mean, this this is a complex, like just mind-numbingly Absolutely. complex process with just tons and tons of different moving parts and to yeah. make anything happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a miracle that anything gets done, <laughs> to be honest, uh, let alone changing a process and changing the way people work. Yeah. One of the things that I, I really liked in your talk too, and this is something that, that I, I found to be the case, we talked a little bit about these silos, but you, you made a point to integrate digital with the business itself. And yeah. so one of the things that I have seen and, um, you know, my experience, I've worked in a bunch of different businesses and different orgs and teams, you know, structured in different ways. And what I've always found for some reason was that they have a software team that's always separate yeah. from everything else. Mm-hmm. And when oh. the business decides they want something, they go to the software team and say, we figured it out. I just want you to go build this thing. <laughs> and then what you create is an other. You create, oh, these stupid software teams, they always yeah. take so long, or, oh, the stupid business team, they never know what they're asking for. And I think just integrating <laughs> them together, it, it's such a simple yet brilliant way to just break down the silos to create one team. Yeah, t- totally. That's just working together to solve a problem Yeah, versus absolutely. an other. Ah. And I, I'm curious, any thoughts there? How, how did that work? How did that go? I'm curious how that went. I, I, I love the way you use other as, as, as the, you know, the, the, the kind of summary of that. Yeah. So, so look, when I, when I joined the business again, and, and it, this is not exclusive to, to, to my first at all, it happens in a lot of places like you alluded to. The the digital teams are usually out on a limb, and whenever I see that, I I kind of set sparks going in my head because it's like, wow, you know, these everything needs to go through the website and the warehouse. So why is you know why is this happening? Why are people not quite integrated? And and it works both ways, right? I mean, sometimes digital teams, yeah, we know what we're doing. We're just going to do this, so, you know, to, to what you were saying yep. earlier. But <laughs> and, and and again, so as much what happens, so. People solutionize for you and bring you what they think is what you want to hear. Well, you know, you you, you just build stuff, right? You just color things in and build it. No, we're, we're you know, business teams. Oh, right, okay. And and it works the other way around. It's like, oh, I'm so fed up of people coming to me with solutions when I know what I'm doing. So you get this clash. And, and in Mindful Chef, what, what, I, what I did walk into specifically is um, people had no idea what they were working on. Uh, they had no real visibility of what they were what they were working on. They had no idea whether things that they asked for were being built. Um, and when when the you know the kind of report came out last year, it showed that uh, digital was completely isolated. And even worse, between the business teams and the digital team, there's a corridor. So it's like a it's like a physical divide. It's a physical boundary. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's like oh, we're walking to the digital team. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. So so one of the things I I said from the office, like, look, we're going to do weekly reports. We're going to show people what we're working on. I'm going to put the uh, roadmap uh, on a shared space. Anyone can go at any time and look at it and look at the reason, look at the rationale, I look at that. you know. Look at value versus effort, which I also introduced that hadn't been put put into the in, into the roadmap before, and 
people can then start to come around to us and say, okay, you know that thing you're doing. And what I wanted to do is then start to build um, squads, but business-wide squads. So making sure that experts in the business were in the ideation sessions. And I know this should be commonplace, right? But it it isn't in so many companies that it wasn't here. It's like, okay, get these experts in, start helping understand each other. So it's no different to the road trip to the warehouse, by the way. It's just in a business case, get into the boardroom, go to this pub, have a chat, talk about these ideas and then suddenly it normalizes everything and everyone understands what other people's roles are so it's like oh is that what you do in the business side oh is that how you is that how you solution you know get to a great solution digitally you you look at all these components insights data how does that data work and what's the data you're looking at and suddenly you realize you've got way more in common and now when you look at the report that's come out this year you cannot tell where digital is within the within the the actual full business because we're so integrated um but it's key because, again, trust and patience. If people don't understand what you're doing or feel they have a voice in it, and, and it, it goes both ways, we can question other people when they come to us with, with a business idea. Um, then, then, then again, what are you doing? You're kind of always headbutting against each other a little bit. So, so I think that's worked really, really well. It's been, been, been one of the successes. Cool. So the last thing that I, I really wanted, the, the big theme that I got out of your talk that I wanted to dive into was this flexibility, this idea of flexibility. And this is something I preach all the time. You know, UX designers, they want to have a process. They want to have something they learned in school, you know, something that everybody talks about, oh, this is my process and I follow it every time. Uh, and, I, you know, that you could be a stickler for process and get nothing done because nobody wants to follow along. Or you can flex and you can be pragmatic and actually achieve something even if it isn't perfect. And I'm curious here, yeah. can you speak to that a yeah. little bit? Because I'd love to talk with you about, you know, how, how far off, is your vision from what you wanted versus what you got? Uh, you, I know you mentioned you still got a ways to go, but I, I'd love to talk a little bit about just the flexibility and how that's like kind of helped you get to where you are today. Yeah. So, so, so again, what is the point in walking into anywhere, you know, especially a new business that, that you've, you're entering into and saying, don't worry, I've got this, right? A, there's no trust there, but, but also, if you don't, if you're not flexible to to some of the things they're thinking, and you're not flexible to the approach, especially moving from feature factory to outcome focus, it's going to take time. So you've got to be flexible. So you've got to say, okay, it's it's not by this date or it's not by this month. If you get incremental steps each month, you're winning already. Um, but but it's really around, like you said, if 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 you flex to their needs, they'll flex to yours. And you'll get this great collaboration going. If if you say no, no, it's this process. This is what we have to do. You'll find that you just you just get people's backs up from the off, um, and then you, you know that's quite hard to get over in some in some places. So for me, it, you've you've got to be flexible in all walks of life, but but especially when you're trying to collaborate and bring teams together, and and you've got to be that change agent. You know, like like you said before, you've got to be the change you want to see when when you're opened, and and you really do, and that takes a lot of energy uh you know and, and it can be exhausting but when you start to see the results off the back of it that's what drives me even more so it's like okay this has been exhausting but we've got so far to go we're gonna do yes we've got some more win here yeah you know i'm always a, a glass half full kind of a guy for, yeah. for people that know me it's it's one of my annoying traits but um <laughs> <laughs> i like um but you've got you've got it you've got to do it <laughs> thank you you've got to do it you you know and you've got to say okay but I might I might not want to completely flex to their approach. Is there a halfway house? Can you educate each other as part of that flexibility? You know, what is it? We're going back again. What is it we're trying to achieve? What is it that the company is trying to achieve? Well, why don't we try this? And again, 
are you going to win every battle? No, pick your battles. Which ones are important? Um, which ones, you know, do you want to get over the line and, and show that this, that's going to help show the success of where you're trying to get teams and the business to um so if, if i think if you if you take that approach and you flex towards that then you'll you'll get a lot further i mean look i'm i'm uh, what, maybe just under halfway through this process of getting to where i want to be is it perfect hell no it really isn't is it way better than it was yeah 100 percent. can i see light at the end of the tunnel yeah i mean sometimes the, the end of the tunnel seems to move further out sometimes it comes more towards me someone keeps building this tunnel like as we're going through which yeah. like can you guys just stop <laughs> building the tunnel we're trying to get through it please <laughs> <laughs> yeah and as a claustrophobe i hate tunnels so the quicker i get out of it the better <laughs> well that's a terrible analogy sorry <laughs> Uh, I'm curious, you know, because speaking of light at the end of the tunnel, how how do you know when you're done or maybe you're never done? Maybe this is just a continuous process, but do you have any thoughts? Do you have any metrics for yourself? Like I know what I I will have achieved when I see something. Mm. It's a great, great question. Uh, At the moment, I'm so focused on getting to, you know, the bottom run of the ladder, that <laughs> getting us there. That, Sorry to that, say. That, that, that yeah. would be the thing. To be fair, I think I'm two, I think, yeah, but I think I'm two or three steps up, actually, to be fair. I think when, when I don't have to constantly talk about outcomes and, you know, when people start doing it for me, which they some people are starting to do, but there's a long way to go. When people just automatically collaborate together and that is happening more and when they start to say an opening statement of right here's the problem statement um this is where we're trying to get to these are the kind of metrics we need to move um and we we start to work towards those outcomes and then our processes move towards those outcomes and then we introduce things like okrs which is a whole mm. topic in itself yeah. then i think we're, we're we're pretty much there and i think we can operate within that bubble really well so you'll know when you're a success when your team doesn't need you anymore working yeah, yourself yeah. Out. <laughs> totally yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can do all this without me that's how i know i was successful <laughs> yeah and, and, but there's nothing wrong with that i mean yeah. then I'll, I'll find another challenge to solve within the business because there's yeah, always there something go. else to do i mean this is just just is just one, one of the many challenges we're, we're we're trying to face into but yeah no it's a great way of putting it there's always another challenge neil there's always <laughs> another challenge <laughs> there is there is anybody out there struggling as a designer on their design team or maybe their product people listening to this What's your one one piece of advice for how to just start this from wherever you are? If you're not a, you know, maybe you're a, low, a junior UX or all the way up to maybe a manager or something. Any any advice sure. on just how to start? I, I, I think you've answered it. It is just start. Just start the conversation. Start, okay. Yeah, but if you try and dress this up in some fancy conversation or some, you know, process or, or something like that, people have enough of those things. If you start to, mm. to talk about... Oh, you know, do you know about outcome focuses and and these very quickly? These are the things it can achieve. Should we or, or or go in and say, do you know what we've been working this way? Is it working? Maybe we should try something else. What about this? And then find find a way of expressing what that you know outcome focused is. But do it quickly. Don't labour the point. You know, if you're speaking for five minutes and the other person hasn't said anything, you you probably already <laughs> lost them. So so I think I think first of all, start the conversation and then. Just have a couple of low ambitious things, yeah. But a couple of low ambitious goals. Um, so things like, okay, could we phrase that in 
Is that it? customer? That's the magic word to use. Can we phrase that in customer speak? What is it we're trying to do for the customer? Because nobody's going to want to argue with what we're trying to do for the customer, whoever the customer is. <laughs> so, so start to speak it. Start to speak in that language, and then and then address their concerns. I mean, one of the things I've been very, very keen on doing is is listening a lot, an awful lot to to, to people's concerns, even when they're they're well into the journey with us. You know, so um, what 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 do they think? Do they think they're going to lose control over something? Um, what do they know about flexibility and flexible squads or all that kind of thing you know they, they're going to have concerns whatever they are to bring to the table and listen to them and address them and work them through together collaboration is key so this is these are my key takeaways from your talk listen before you decide to change something just take yeah. it all in before you make a suggestion before you speak yeah. up and want to change just listen take it all in uh, build trust build relationships build empathy for your team I think this is so true Boys. I've, I can't tell you how many times I hear like designers, UX designers talk about the importance for empathy for users and all this stuff. Mm. And then when it comes time to work with an engineer, they're the first one to be like, these stupid engineers, I, the, the thing's pixel, 10 pixels off, or, you know, they can't build this thing the right way, or it doesn't look the same. You know, it's like empathy for your team, guys, empathy for your team. Yeah. So I, I just yes. think that, that, that piece is, is so important. The allies, find an ally, find people who can back you up because, you know, oftentimes too, this is another thing, you know, you're in a, in a, in a privileged position being the head of product and design, mm. a lot of times you've got these, these UX teams with no senior level anything, nobody to back them up. And, yeah. you know, I think this is just so important. If, if you're junior and you don't have somebody like Neil who's pushing for this from the top and you're trying to do it from the bottom, mm. the best advice is to find somebody in your company who can speak on your behalf at a state with, with the stakeholders or the vice presidents or somebody up about, I guarantee you they're there. You just got to go mm -hmm. out, find them. And mm -hmm. this is part of also building relationships. You can't find those people if you don't build relationships with the larger team. If you're only talking to people on your so. little tiny little UX team, you're never going to build a relationship with anybody outside. So make sure you go out one-on-ones exactly. with just be strategic in who you're going out to find, but yeah. go and find other people in your team that are outside of the UX team, the product team that can actually back you up. I think that's really important. Yeah. The The integration with the digital, I love that. That's something you you were able to do, I think, from a position of authority um, if you can, and you're listening out there and you have that authority, break down the walls, break mm. down the walls, mm. break down the silos and just get your team to work together. I think that mm. is so important. And then I love talking, normalizing outcomes. It's, it's crucial. And I would also say, uh, even if you're not senior, even if you are junior, um, what are the meetings you need to be in, you know, that you're not currently in? And just go and ask somebody, do you mind? I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn more about how things operate because stakeholders are customers too, right? It's not just, just people who, who buy your own product or, or how they use it. So 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 just find out, are there any meetings going on that you think I could learn this? And just say, do you mind if I come to one or two, see if it's relevant, see if it helps me do my job better? And if you approach it from that way, people are like, yeah, of course, because people always want to help people learn. So that's another way of doing it. I love that advice. That's, that's a really great uh, advice too is, stakeholders are your customers mm -hmm. essentially in a, from the UX perspective, they're, they're or the design perspective, they're your customers that you're trying to sell this idea to, you know, and they have to Actually. buy your idea before totally. it gets pushed on to engineering yeah. to build. So that's a really great way to look at it. I love that. And, and the idea of just normalizing, <laughs> talking about it, you know, just mm -hmm. speak as if, you know, if you're in a meeting and, and you just say, well, the outcome here is blah, 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 you know, and just speak as if it's a normal thing. I just love that. And then, you know, for me, lastly, just the idea of just being flexible yeah knowing people work differently than you and, and figure out how to work together. It doesn't have to be your exact Ooh. process, but moving forward is better than not moving at all. 
that's that's something I I, uh, I really like. I, t- totally, and I think that's hugely important because uh, again, if you're too impatient, you try to rush something through, and people aren't ready. You know, they're just going to push you back. So it pushes the whole process back. All right, Neil. So we've talked a little bit. Anything else before we get out of here? You got anything else you want to plug or anything you want to talk about that we didn't get a chance to chat about today? Um, I, I would just say try, you know, when you're when you're planning your work. Um, I mean, one of the things you need to get out of the build trap is being reactive to stuff. Um, so I guess the last piece of advice would be try to get ahead. Um, what I'm trying to do at the moment is get ahead of quarters. Um, so, so starting fairly fairly near term um so in february i want to know what we're doing and what our focus as a business is and priorities are in q2 so uh you know how, how we do the next quarter and then we can start to plan through through march how we address that quarter so we're, we're hitting the ground running before it starts and then we'll repeat that so so try and get ahead as far as you can i know it's not always easy um i know that a lot of businesses especially retail businesses coming out of the pandemic you know as, as we normalize again um they're finding it a bit of a struggle um so they just want to react all the time to, to different things you can build that into your process too you can you can leave a percentage of development time uh, to allow for that but um but yeah i mean i, I think just try and get ahead of the game now uh, one thing I, I forgot to mention you mentioned this book a couple times the build trap or escaping the build trap by melissa yeah. perry yeah this book is written i think more as an audience of product managers so a lot of ux people probably haven't heard of it but I think it's a wonderful book. Actually, I heard about it because my wife, Amy, is a product manager and she got this book and I was like, what's that book? And she started telling me, I'm like, oh my God, I want to read that book when you're done. Uh, but anyway, The Build Trap by Melissa Perry is the name of the, the book or Escaping the Build Trap yeah. rather. Yeah. And it's just a great book that I think it, it would be super helpful for UX designers to read, even if you're not in charge of product roadmaps and things like that. It's still a Speak the language of the product managers, you know, yeah. learn, learn about this and then you could speak their language. So anyway, I, I wanted to point that out because I, I, I don't know if my audience actually would be familiar with that book necessarily, but anyway, awesome book. I love it. Read it. Neil, fantastic uh, talk. If, if you ever record it and, or put a deck together and you put it on YouTube <laughs> or something, let me know. And I'd love to link to it and tell all, uh, all my fans and stuff about, no about the talk and, and share it because I think it's a fantastic talk. Thank you. All right, so we got a little Q&A, short Q&A, five questions, <laughs> just for my uh, listeners to get to know all my guests a little bit better. Uh, so, you yeah. know, first thing that comes to your head, you don't have to think too hard about them. I'm going to ask you just mm-hmm. five simple little questions. You can tell me what you think. Now, what's funny is normally I, I'm interviewing designers, so I always think, you know, the non-design thing. And in your case, That's you're fine. not a designer, so like, you know, these <laughs> wouldn't matter anyway. Uh, just whatever you think is uh, comes to mind. So first question, uh, what's your favorite non-design book? <laughs> So one of my hobbies is uh, photography, and um, and I actually have a wedding photography business uh, over in the UK. I, I keep it quite low level because it's quite intense. Um, but I'm, I'm if, if if I could be anything at any point in time, I'd love to have been a fashion photographer in the sixties. So oh, my yeah. favourite non digital book, my favourite non digital book uh, has to be Grace by Grace Coddington, uh, who was a creative director at Vogue US for thirty years, and it's a look back at her entire workload, but, uh, more from a case of. How does she storytell across two or three images? You know, oh, wow. it would take 2,000 words to, to, to describe. Um, and, you know, not just how she does storytelling, which can help me improve my day job, but, but also images just to die for. I assume it's like a large format photography book, a lot of big pictures and stuff. Yeah, they, they they only publish so many every so often. So, um, and it's uh, it costs about a hundred pounds. So I'm not sure what oh, that geez. is in dollars, but uh, yeah, it is. But it's 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 a big book. It's a heavy book, but it's it's a book you will never get bored of. Well, it's a hundred pounds. That's a very heavy book. That was a <laughs> money joke. <laughs> that's a, that was a dad joke. All right, uh, what's your favorite non-design podcast? 
Uh, that's an easy one. Um, when I'm commuting, I listen to this podcast and I can get through two or three on a return trip because my, my commute's quite long, thankfully, and do it twice a week. Um, but it's uh, it's called Desert Island Discs. It's a BBC show uh, that started off as um, just a series of six. 60 years later and 2,000 episodes later, they're still going strong. And it's uh, it's wow. a 45-minute interview with with people. So Some of those people are famous. Like last week, they had Steven Spielberg on. Sometimes they're, they're not famous, but they're, they're trying to achieve something pretty monumental like you know how do you protect human rights where in countries where you know they have dictatorships or, or the, the the laws are a bit kind of skewed from the west um so and what it does is, is it they interview them about their lives and their work over 45 minutes but they have to punctuate it with eight tracks that uh, mean something to them so and through these eight oh, tracks wow. they they start to tell this story of their their life and it's it's really really awesome and at the end they have to choose a luxury item and a book to take with them so i would definitely take the, the Grace Coddington book. I'm not sure. Luxury item, I'd, I'd probably take a cinema with every film that I've ever watched. But uh, but yeah, if you get a chance to listen to Desert Island Discs, it's really awesome. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever heard of that. I imagine you can probably get it on any, like, I know it's BBC, but you could probably get it anywhere, anywhere you listen to podcasts, probably, I would assume. I, I, I suspect so, yeah, because BBC is uh, B- BBC Worldwide, yeah. It's no longer just for the Brits. It's for everybody. Else. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite meal? Uh, it's easy. I, I, that's straightforward, very simple. Um, the hotter and spicier, the better. Um, so it would have to be either chicken vindaloo or chicken naga every time. Ooh, chicken vindaloo. Yeah. Not very healthy, I know. but <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. Who cares? Uh, you, everybody dies. There's a, 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 an Indian place by our house that has uh, vindaloo and well, I guess every Indian place tends to have vindaloo, I guess. But anyway, they have like a one through 10 spice. Wow. And nice. I got like a five the other day. And oh my God, that's like the hottest <laughs> thing I've ever had. It's like so spicy. Okay, uh, I was like, this is a five? What the hell? It's like a 10. I don't, I don't even yeah, want to exactly. ask. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. yeah quick flight. Hop, hop right across the pond. Be here. We'll go get some vindaloo. You ever come that's to Cincinnati, awesome. give me a holler. We'll go there. I'm there. All right. Uh, what is your favorite vacation spot? Oh gosh, so many, so so many. Um, You're so lucky living in Europe, man. You I guys know, are right? so close to just like <laughs> so much stuff. I got a friend who lives in Hungary. He's like, yeah, we oh, went to nice. Croatia for the weekend. I was like, God, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? I t- totally. And and that's the thing. We've got you know, God knows how many countries on our doorstep. I mean, the nearest country to Europe is 45 minutes flight, right? So it's it's nothing. And you're in a completely different country, a different culture, a different language. The whole shebang. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. That. So, so, so I, Europe is is one of my favorite places, partly because I know it so well. But I, I guess my favorite place would have to be either the the lakes in northern Italy, so Lake Garda and Lake Como. I've been there quite a lot, and they are mm. just just beautiful, um, and the food's amazing. Um, or the Balearic Islands in the Mediterranean, so off the off the Spanish coast, uh, like Mallorca, somewhere around there. So one of those two, I suspect. Uh, if I had to pick one, oh, I'd go for the lakes in Italy. If it's good enough for George Clooney, it's good enough for me. It being down from New Orleans, you know, it's like you guys can get to France and like the best baguette you've ever had. And like <laughs> back in New Orleans, I could get to like Mississippi, get a gas station burrito or something, you know, it's just yeah, a man. totally different vibe, but I love it. <laughs> it's just, you know, Mississippi's here. Uh, you know, you've got Italy is like way up here. I'm jealous. 
Anyway, all right, Mississippi, it's it's sad. You know, you can get to Mississippi or you can get to France. I'd rather get to France. All right, uh, yeah. what's your favorite design tool that's not Figma? This this won't really apply to you. I don't know. I ask everybody. <laughs> no, it does, this. actually. I, every, Do you have a design? Okay, there we go. No, well, well we, we use Figma every day. So, uh, and, you know, most of the companies I've worked at are Figma-orientated. Um, so, so I'm very, very used to uh working working with it even if i'm not putting the actual things together but um but yeah i i so look i i, I went to art school so you know a bit of a design link there so i like to draw <laughs> stuff and my, my theory is that if you're if you're trying to explain something the best way of doing that is to draw something and if you can't draw something to explain what it is you're trying to achieve in less than a minute the chances are the solution's too complex so the, the actual app that i do use is mm-hmm. one on my ipad which is called sketchbook um and i draw I, I write it and keep all my notes in it but i also draw in it a lot by saying look this is what i'm trying to say what if we had this here and this here and it led to this page that did this or this did this and you can draw like two or three pages in really quick form in 30 seconds right and and that alone then starts getting people talking around something they're looking at on a screen so um outside of figma i would say slightly old school maybe but sketchbook yeah all right well there you go well that is it that's all we got awesome i'm done any other parting thoughts any anything else before we we let you out here uh well firstly thanks for having me it's, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, um, but but also i guess that the only thing i would i would say is, is look stick with it because whatever it is you're trying to achieve uh, trust the process trust that you're right and you know build the trust and have the patience so just keep sticking with it guys all right neil well, i appreciate it i think that's it for neil and me for today i hope we helped uh, get you to think about outcomes versus the build trap and versus being a feature factory but i'm curious if any anybody stuck there today if they're trying, what are you thinking? Is, is, is there anything you need help with? Is there something that you, you're trying and isn't working? Or have you been able to do it? Have you been able to successfully get your team from feature factory, feature focused to being more outcome focused? I'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think on LinkedIn or shoot me an email at hello at Beyond UX Design. We'd love to hear from you. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would love it if you left a five-star review. That would help me out way more than you know. And if you know somebody who might find any of the stuff that we're talking about useful, wanted to tell them about it, that'd be fantastic. And if you want to help to keep the show independent and ad-free, check out our Patreon sponsor packages at beyondux.com slash support. You can support the show for as little as $3 a month. And there are some awesome perks. You can get a shout out on the show every week. There's even a package to meet with me for 30 minutes every month. So don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and check out all the past episodes at beyondux.com. And I hope you keep coming back for more great UX tips from Beyond UX Design. And until next time, remember, you're more than a designer because there's more to UX and design. I'll see you around. Take care, y'all.